With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about B'Kamad Afnun Hay, page 55. We begin on the bottom of the Dalar, page 54b. Shol Rabbi Hanina ben Ogil asked Rabbi Chia bar Abba. Rabbi Hanina ben Ogil asked the following question of Rabbi Hanina bar Abba. Why is it that on the first set of the Ten Commandments, on the, on the tablets, it does not say the word toiv, good. But on the second set, it did say the word tov. And Rashi says, where does it say the word tov? Where does it say the word good? It says, in regards to Kibbut of Aim, honoring one's parents, it says, that it be good for you. And it's talking about that a person have a long life in the next world, that a person will eternally be connected to God. So why does it say it only in the second tablets, but not in the first tablets? Before you ask me why it says the word tov, good, only in the second version, Ask me if it says good, imlav or not. Because I don't even know if it indeed says the word tov, the word good, in the second version and not in the first one. So interestingly, there's discussion about whether or not, how could it be that an Amora wouldn't know what it says in the Torah? It's explicitly a verse. So the way I understand it is that, of course, he knew what it says in the Torah. But his question was, I don't even know if there's a significance to the fact that there's a difference between if it says Tov or not. I don't know if there really is something to darshan, to, to learn out from the fact that it says that or not. So that's why he sends him to, to somebody specifically who was a Bucky Bagot, somebody who knew about how to darshan, how to learn on homiletic teachings. So that could be that the understanding. You can check out dafpshat.blogspot.com if you want to see more of a discussion about this. That's dafpshat.blogspot.com. Anyway, so the Gemara continues. So he says to him, Go to Rabbi Tanchon, the son of Chaniloi, who used to be all the time learning from Yeshua and Levi. He was somebody who was well versed in the homiletic teachings. So he goes to him, So Rabbi Tanchon Bar Chaniloi says to him, I didn't hear anything about this question from him, from Yeshua and Levi. However, I did hear something from Shmuel, the son of Nachum, who was the uncle of Rabbi Chaniloi. Those who say with the grandfather on the mother's side, Rabbi Barbi Chanina. And he said like this, that the reason that it says the word Tov only in the second ones and not in the first ones, because since the, the first tablets were going to get destroyed, they were going to get broken by Moses, so therefore Hashem did not write the word Tov, didn't write the word good on the first set. So the one wants to know, so what's the significance? Just because it's going to get destroyed, why can't it write the word Tov? Amar of Ashi, so Rav Ashi comes and says like this, because if God had written the word Tov, the word good, on the first set of the Luchos, on the first tablets, so you would think that after Moshe Rabbeinu goes and destroys that first set, so now that it says the word Tov, so Tov is gone, there's no access for the Jewish people to have that eternal good anymore, now that they've sinned, and now that Moshe has destroyed the first set of Luchos, the first set of the tablets. So that's why Hashem didn't write the word Tov, so you would never think that the Jewish people wouldn't have access to that eternal good. Someone sees the letter Tess in his dream. It's a good sign for him. My time, what's the reason? If it's because the letter Tess signifies the word Toiv, it says in the Torah, the word Toiv, which means good. So therefore the letter Tess, which is the first letter in the word Toiv, if that's what you see in your dream, it's, it's hinting to the word Toiv, which means good. We find that there's another verse that that starts with the letter, another word that starts with the letter Tess, and it means getting 
getting swept away with destruction. So maybe the letter Tess, if one sees it in a dream, it's referring to that verse. Where it says, Chad Tess, Kamrinun. We're talking about where you saw only one letter Tess. If you see two letter Tesses, yes, it would refer to that word, Vititetia, that someone will get swept away. But when it says one letter Tess, it's referring to the word Toi, which means good. Ema Tum Where says, wait, you find another place where the letter Tess is used only once in a word, and it's in a negative context. It's talking about impurity. So maybe it's something negative. Where says, Tess, best Kamrinun. That when we say that you saw the letter Tess in your dream, it means you saw the letter Tess along with the letter Bez, and therefore Tess and Vez spell Tav, which means good. Sigmar says, wait, Ema Tavu Ba'art Sha'arel. You find that the letter Tess and Vez are the first two letters of the word Tavu, which means to drown. It's referring to the destruction that occurred of the base of English of the temple when the gates of the temple, they sunk into the earth. They were drowned in the earth. So maybe it's something negative when you see the letter Tess and Vez. Sigmar says, no. How do we know what the concept of the letter Tess is? You look at the first place that we find it in the Torah. The first place we find the letter Tess used in the Torah is Shemi Bereshis Advayar Lekimesa Tess. You don't find until, from the beginning of Bereshis, from the beginning of Genesis, until the words Vayar Lekimesa Or that God saw the light and He saw it was good, you don't find the letter Tess. The first place it's used is in the word Toiv. So therefore you see that at its essence, the letter Tess is something that's good. And as Rabbi Kiva Tatz explains, that whenever you have the first time of something in the Torah, that's where its root is. So thus, because the letter Tess, the first time it's used in the Torah is in regards to the word Toiv, which means good. You see the letter Tess, at its root, is something good and positive. So if someone sees the letter Tess, even the letter Tess alone, in a dream, it's referring to the word Toiv, good, and it's a good sign. From Yeshub and Levi, Yeshub and Levi says, Haraya Hespid If someone sees eulogy in his dream, It means that they had mercy upon him from the heavens, and they redeemed him from something that he should have been killed or something. And the Gemara says, you should know that doesn't mean that someone witnessed his own eulogy in his dream, that that's a good thing. It means specifically if he saw the word hespade, hey samach peidalid, that's a good thing. And the Marsha explains because hespade is made up of two different words, chas, which means that they had mercy upon him, and pad, which means poda, that they redeemed him. So that's if he sees the word, that's a good thing. But if he actually sees a eulogy, the indication here is that it would be a negative thing. We said in the Mishnah that just like an ox and a donkey have certain halachas, whatever halachas pertain to those things, those halachas will also pertain to a wild animal or a bird, etc. Amar Yishlakis, so Yishlakis says, Kanshan Rebbe, that here Rebbe taught as follows, Tarnagol, Tavas, Upisiyini, if you have a chicken, you have a goose, or a quail, Kilaim Zebazeh, they are considered different species, and thus, if you mate them or you put them in the same yoke, you're going to have a problem of kilaim. Pshit, Tadigmar says it's obvious. Um, Rav Chaviva, Rav Chaviva says, Mishum Since they can be crossbred, and they would create a child, they would create another bird. You might think they're considered one type. That's what's coming to teach you that. No, they're not considered one type, and in fact, if you crossbreed them or you use them inside of the same yoke, there is a problem with that. Amar Shmuel. Shmuel says, Ivis ve'ivis habar. You have a goose and a wild goose. Kilaim zebazeh. They're considered different species. You can't crossbreed them, and you can't put them in the same yoke. Maskif la Rava Bar of Chanan. Rava Bar of Chanan asks the following question: My timer. What's the reason why? If the reason you'll tell me is because one has a longer beak and one has a shorter beak, and that's how we know that they're considered different species. Elameata. If that's the case, if that's how you can tell, gamla pars of gamla taya. If you have a Persian camel or an Arab camel. 
The high olim kavi, one has a longer neck. The high cotton kavi, one has a shorter neck. So then they should also be considered different species, one from the other. And you shouldn't be able to crossbreed them or put them in the same yoke. We know it's not true. So Abai says, how do we know that there's a difference between the two species of the goose and the wild goose? The way that we can tell that they're different species is because one has their testicles hang out, one of them, the testicles do not hang out, they're inside. Rav Papa Amar, Rav Papa gives a different explanation how we see that they're different species. One of them, so the mother bird only can contain one egg at a time, and Rashi says that that's referring to the wild goose. However, the regular goose, so it can even have multiple eggs at a time. So therefore, that's how we see that they're different species. If one takes two aquatic creatures and he crossbreeds them, so he would have transgressed the prohibition and he will indeed get lashes. My time, what's the reason? So we learn it out from the fact we have a Xerashava, we find the Torah uses the same word Lemineu to its type in regards to aquatic animals and in regards to land animals. So it teaches you that just like in regards to land animals there's a problem of crossbreeding, so too there's a problem in regards to two aquatic animals. Boy, Rechav, Rechav asks the following question. Let's say somebody harnesses to his wagon a goat and a fish. How does he do that? Because he's walking along, he's uh, riding along in his wagon right next to the sea. And he somehow is able to harness a fish at the same time as the goat, and they're both pulling his wagon. Mahu, what's going to be the halacha in such a case? Since a goat doesn't go into the water. And a fish does not come out of the water. So then it's not considered that they're really harnessed, to, that they're working together. Or do we say, no, perhaps it's considered that they are both pulling it. So therefore it's considered that they're harnessed together. So Ravina right away asks a question on the question. If that's the case, let's say somebody took both wheat and barley in his hands. So ordinarily, you're not allowed to, you're not to plant these two things in the same place. But let's say you planted them one next to the other, but one is, you're living on the border between Israel and outside of Israel. So in Israel, there's an obligation on such a thing. Outside of Israel, there's an obligation, right? So you put the, the wheat inside of Israel, and you put the seora, the barley, right next to it, outside of Israel. According to you, you should think that perhaps there would be an obligation, even though they're in two different places. The Gemara says, hold on a second. That's not a good question. Amri, we say like this, How can you compare it? Over there, so the land of Israel, so there is an obligation in Kilah. Of not, of not putting two different types of things in the same place, but outside of Israel there's no obligation. So, so it's not comparable. The two sides are not at all comparable. One, one side there's an obligation, one side there isn't. But over here, whether you're in the water or you're outside of the water, both places do have an obligation. All animals in each place cannot be crossbred or placed in the same yoke. So that being the case, we still will have our question in regards to the fish and the goat that were harnessed to this wagon. Lengmar does not answer it. Hajran Allah, Shershanagach Sapara, we will return to you, chapter Shoshanoga Chesapara. If someone brings sheep into a corral, and he properly closed the door in front of them, meaning, and Rashi explains, we're talking about where you close the door, a wall that would stand with a regular wind, but not a very strong wind. The Yatsa and then the animal goes out and it causes damage, somehow it gets out. Potter, there's no obligation. And the Gemara is going to point out that we're talking about a case over here of specifically a sheep, because sheep do not gore like oxen do. So the only damage that we can talk about is shane and regal, where damaged by eating or trampling. So over there, it's enough of a shmir, it's enough of a watching if we're talking about where you 
put up a good wall that could stand in a regular wind. Let's say you didn't properly even put up a wall that could stand in a regular wind. And then it went out and it caused damage. Then there is an obligation. If it broke out at night, they should pursue a list him. Or if, let's say, robbers came in, broke into the, broke through the wall, and then went out and caused damage. Potter, so then there's no obligation on the owner of the field. And there's also an obligation on the robbers who broke through the wall because it's just a grama. It's a secondary type of damage. It wasn't caused directly. However, if the robbers actually took the animal out, list them chayovin. So any damages that are now caused will be the obligation of those robbers. Let's say the owners left their animal out in the hot sun. So the animal is going to be more likely to need to break out of that area. Or if the responsibility was given over to someone who had a low mental capacity, someone who was deaf-mute, person who's insane, a person who's a minor, and then it went out and caused damage, there will be an obligation on the owner. So let's say someone gives it over to a shepherd. So then the shepherd now becomes responsible. Let's say the animal is walking along, falls off the side of the road into somebody's private property and eats something from the house. So it doesn't actually have to pay the damage. All it has to pay is what the animal benefited. What does that mean? It means that the owner now is not going to have to feed his animal animal fodder. So the benefit here is a much lower value than perhaps what the animal actually ate, but he will have to pay that value that he now gained now that he doesn't even have to give his animal animal fodder. Now, you're the Kedark of Ezekiel. Let's say you walk down in a regular way. It didn't just fall. And it caused damage. So in such a case, then you do pay that which the damage was. How does it work when you have to pay the damages? The way you determine it is not based on actually the fruits that the animal ate per se. What you do is you take the value of the field and you subtract how much the field would be worth now, now that it's lost this row. So basically, you look at the objective value of the field before and after, and that's the determination of the nezek of the damage. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, If the animal went and ate fruits that were already ripened, So in such a case, then you will indeed pay the value of the fruits, and you won't look at the field, what it was worth before and what it's worth now. Depending on the measure, the amount of fruits that were eaten, that's how much you're going to have to pay. So, however, Bishimin agrees that if the fruits were not yet ripened, so you determine the value of the field, how much it was worth before, and how much the field is worth now, and you take the difference, and that's the amount that the person who caused the damage, the owner of the animal, has to pay. We begin the Gemara. We learned that What is called that you did an appropriate watching? What's called that you did not do an appropriate watching? If it's a if it's a door that can stand up to a regular wind, that's considered that you did a proper watching. If it's a door that cannot stand up to a regular wind, so then you did not do an appropriate watching. Mani Barpatish says as follows: Mantano. Who is our Mishnah who holds that in regards to a case which is Mu'ad, right, so by an ox, so when is it called Mu'ad, that it's wild, that it's considered that it's normal for it to do, and it's done it three times. But in regards to, to Shane and Regel, so it's Mu'ad right away. It's considered that it's wild in a certain sense. It's normal for it to eat and to trample things and cause damage. So over here we see that in a case which is Mu'ad, which is eating and trampling, so it's enough to do a weak watching, because all you have to do is put up a wall, a door, 
that can stand up to a regular wind, but it does not have to stand up to a strong wind. So who's the one that says that? Rabbi Yehuda. So it would seem to be Rabbi Yehuda, the time we learned in the Mishnah. Kashri ba'ala b'maiseira. If let's say the owner is tied it up with chains or with rope, then all the fun of Kuroya, and they properly uh, close the door in front of it. Vi'yatsa and afterwards it went out and caused damage. Echad tam ve'echad mud. Whether we're talking about a tame animal or a wild animal, chayiv tivrevi meir. So the mayor holds that there is an obligation, even though you did a watching, since you did a weak watching, not a strong watching, so there's going to be an obligation. Yehuda, I mean, Yehuda says, Tam chayiv, muad pater, that if it's a tame animal, there will be an obligation, but if it's a muad, if it's a wild animal, then all you need is a weak uh, uh, watching. Shinemar, the verse says, In regards to a case of a muad, a wild animal, so the verse says that the there's an obligation when the owners have not properly watched it. V'shamar huzeh, this is considered that they watched it. They did do some kind of shmir, they put up a wall that could stand up to a regular wind. Rabbi Lazar, I mean, Rabbi Lazar says, In that even if you did a great watching, it's not going to take away your obligation. The only way to get rid of your obligation is to take a knife and slaughter your animal. So the Gemara says, so it would seem to be that our mission is Rabbi Yehuda, who says that in regards to a muad, all you need is a weak watching, that's enough, there's no obligation. So our mission seems to be saying the same thing. The Gemara says, I feel tamer, Rabbi Meir. We could say that our mission is even Rabbi Meir. Well, how could we say that? Shani Shane Virego. It's different in regards to a case where the animal caused damage by eating or by trampling. The Torah miyatash bishmirasan. We find that the Torah did not require as great of a watching. Dama Rabbi Lazar, because we find that Rabbi Lazar said, Amri Masni Satana, and then those who say that it was actually a Brisa that had said this, are Badvarim in regards to four things, does the Torah not require as great of a guarding? The Elohim, and these are they. Bor, Veish, Shein, Veregel. A pit, a fire, an animal causing damage by eating, and an animal causing damage by trampling. Bor, where do we find this in regards to a pit? Because the verse says, If a person shall open a pit, or if a person shall dig a pit. When is there an obligation if he doesn't cover it? But if you just covered it, even though it could theoretically get uncovered, it's going to be enough as long as you covered it. So you see, by a boar, by a pit, you don't need a, an incredibly strong watching. Another place that we see it is in regards to fire, because it says, The person who caused a fire, so he has to pay. When is there an obligation? Only when the person whose fire it is had done something which was as if, or similar to, if he had actually lit the fire himself. Meaning he has to do something which is a complete pshia, complete negligence. Thus implying that if a person did a decent watching, even if it wasn't a very strong watching, it's going to be enough in regards to fire. We find this concept also in regards to an animal causing damage by eating, because the verse says, that the animal goes and causes damage and consumes something in someone else's field. There's no obligation until the person who owns this animal actually does something which is similar to taking the animal and causing the animal to consume something in someone else's field. And that's only when he did a complete pshia, a complete act of negligence. But if he did a decent watching, if he put up a wall that could stand up to a regular wind, then he wouldn't have an obligation in regards to in regards to an animal causing damage by eating. Regal in regards to an animal trampling, the verse says, Vishilach, that he sends out his animal to cause damage by trampling. Ad Vishilach, until a person does an act of negligence, which is similar to actually sending out the animal to cause damage directly. So only then is there an obligation, but if he does a decent watching, then there's no obligation. So that's what we're saying over here. That even according to Rabbi Meir, who says that in regards to Mu'ad, in regards to an animal who gores, he says that there is an obligation, even if you did a decent watching, as long as you haven't done a really strong watching. So what's the Pshat over here in our because our Mishnah holds, and Rabbi Meir could hold, like this Brisa or Belazar, that in fact, when it comes to Shane and Regal, when it comes to animal eating or causing damage through trampling, it will not be necessary for him to do as strong of a watching, and even if he does a weak watching, it's going to be enough to pater him to make him not obligated to have to pay for the damages.
Vitanya. And we have a Brisa that says the same exact idea. Vishilach Zeharegel. When the verse says that he shall send out his animal, it's referring to the animal trampling. Vichenu Omer, we find a verse that hints to this. The verse is he sends out the feet of the ox and the donkey. So we see sending out is referring to the feet trampling. Ubir Zashain. When it says when it consumes, it's referring to the teeth, to the animal eating. Vichenu Omer, we find a verse that implies this. Just as it will be consumed by the Golol, the Golol is referring to something that sometimes reveals, sometimes it's hidden. Add to my, until it gets completely destroyed. So we see that it's referring to teeth. It's referring to an animal eating with its teeth, consuming with its teeth. Time it all became Vishilachubir. Why is there an obligation? Because you did something where it's similar to actually taking the animal and placing it in a place where it's going to consume or sending the animal out intentionally to consume. What's called similar to that? We did an act of negligence. Ha, loy avid, loy. But if you hadn't done such an action, meaning you did a shmira, you did some kind of action of watching, you put up a wall that could stand to a regular wind, so then that would be good enough. Rabbi said the Mishnah actually, we can see it in the Mishnah itself that this is the, the right understanding, the Katani, because it says it's sign. It talks about a case of a sheep. Let's think about this. Until now, all we've been speaking about is a case of an ox. Why don't we say in this Mishnah a case of an ox? Why don't we only say sheep? Is it not because that Torah is coming to teach you that in regards to sheep, there's not as much of an obligation to watch. Why? Because in regards to to a sheep, it doesn't say anything about goring in regards to a sheep. Shame The only concept that we have in regards to a sheep is only causing damage by eating or by trampling. Tone sheep do not cause damage by goring. The the shame And what's coming to teach you is only in regards to shane and regel, in regards to where an animal causes damage by eating or trampling, only there is it enough for him to do a week watching and thereby not have an obligation. But in regards to a case where the animal gored, which we didn't speak about in our Mishnah, so then there would be an obligation not like Rabbi Huda. So it's a proof that indeed our Mishnah works out like Rabbi Meir. In fact, it seems to be specific like Rabbi Meir. Shmamina, it's a good proof. Proof. Tanya, the Gemara continues, we have a Bryce. Amr Bikshua, Bikshua said, There are four things that a person does them, so there's no obligation in regards to between man and man, but as far as the heavens are concerned, you have done something wrong. These are they. If somebody opens up a gate in front of the animal of his friend, and then the animal goes out and causes damage. If someone leans over the stalks of his friend, such that they get closer to where the fire is, and they end up catching fire. If somebody hires false witnesses to testify. And somebody who knows testimony about his friend, and he does not testify on his behalf. So all of these cases, he's done something wrong. As far as the heavens are concerned, he's done something which he's going to get punished for at some point. And as far as the courts are concerned, there's nothing that they can be machai, that they can obligate this person. We'll see more about these concepts, Mir Hashem, with God's help, in daily dafs to come.